First Chronicles chapter 1, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalo, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, and Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and I love that because Ham's in there. I'm waiting for bacon to come out, but it's not kosher. Calm down. And Japheth. Note with me here where we are in your handout as far as time, because it has been a while since we left off in 2 Kings. And we need to get our kind of head wrapped around where we are in time and what these first 10 chapters will do for us. In fact, the first eight chapters is going to take us on a 3,000-year journey in eight chapters. So we left off in 2 Kings with the nation of Israel taken captive by the Babylonian king. Anybody remember who he was? Oh, my God. I quit. How long ago was it? Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of ba- Close up. We'll just show videos from now on. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had taken them captive. That's how we ended. We know later on that they are taken captive again by Cyrus to Persia. And it is there where they will stay until the order is given first to Ezra to go and rebuild the temple and then later to Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. And so many of the Jews will stay in Persia. They will not go back to the state of Israel. Uh, And so that's where we kind of left off in 2 Kings. Far as who is the writer, really we have no idea who the writer is, but tradition tells us that it was Ezra the priest who came back, because we'll see that he gives this account of how many uh, different people are before and then and then after the uh, coming back, so the post-exilic state as, as the Israelites come back. Written around 400 B.C., if you're taking note or want to win Jeopardy. Chronicles is the last of the Old Testament books. You might think Malachi is. It is, but this was actually written towards the end. So Malachi and Chronicles is the last of the Old Testament books far as chronological order. If you're looking for a key verse... Turn over with me to chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll see that it says, So all Israel was recorded by genealogies, and indeed they were inscribed in a book of the kings of Israel. But Judah was carried away captive to Babylon, please note with me, because of their unfaithfulness. And so that really just gives us an understanding of what we're about to go into. Now, you need to remember that Israel is barely back as a nation. They have no king. They have no government per se. And they will stay that way for the next 400 years till Christ comes. We're going to go into a period known as the Dark 
times of Israel. God will not speak to the nation of Israel after the book of Malachi. And so they're going to plunge themselves into a 400-year time where they will not hear from the Lord. But listen, it doesn't stop with Christ because the Romans and the Greeks, the Greeks first come in and take over. And then the Romans come and take over. They will not have for themselves a government. They will have no king. They will only have priests. That's why, as we will see, it's so important as they're figuring out who is left and who is part of the priestly line. So that becomes important to the writer here of Chronicles. Again, this book is designed to keep a running record of the tribe's lineage. Again, a 3,000-year gap between chapter 1 and the first nine chapters. It actually ends in chapter 8. Again, remember that the tribe is tied to the land. And so the first 10 chapters are, are vital for them. They need to know who survived who came out of Babylon into the Medes and the Persians, and that who is going back. Because again, your family tribe equal where your portion of land was. It's not like that for us. But to the Jews, name was everything. Yes? David, the son of who? Jesse. That was important. Joseph is from the lineage and the tribe of David. That's why he goes back to Bethlehem. We're actually going to see that tonight. We're going to see some of the names tied to, or some of the families tied to those cities, even Bethlehem. Again, for us, the church, it's not so important, and it's not as important uh, to us as it was to the Jewish people of that day. But that doesn't mean that it's not important, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go through it. In fact, we will see that there is a wealth of information inside uh, Chronicles, laughing a little bit after we get out of chapter 10. Anyone read ahead? What? I don't believe it. Again, this section of Scripture that we're going to read tonight tells us something important. It tells us how detailed God is and that he still loves his people, Israel. Amen? That's what it teaches us, a lot of names. In fact, the title of this message is, man, that's a lot of names. So this is more of a theological history rather than a chronological history. That's what Kings was about. Kings was taken from a governmental viewpoint where Chronicles, hence Ezra writing, comes from more of a priestly view or a theological, spiritual view. So we're going to see stuff in here that wasn't in Kings, and then there are things in Kings that are not going to be in Chronicles. It is supposed to give us a round view of the Kings and of Israel's history. And would you note with me who it starts with? Now, you think, you're, oh, listen, this, uh, this old chronicle thing doesn't apply to me. Um, what's verse 1 say? Now, hopefully you know who this guy is. He's kind of well-known. It's Adam. Everyone in this room 
comes from Adam. More specifically, we have our sin nature, thinks a lot, from Adam. So we all are descendants from this first one, Adam. And simply what this is going to tell us in chapter 1 is from Adam to Adam. You think that you might know how they sound. I may think I know how they sound. Ultimately, the guys, when we get to heaven, will tell us, you guys have been pronouncing that my name wrong the entire time. And then it won't matter at all. Adam, then Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalo, Jared, Enosh, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. So really what's important here is we see these first nine names is Adam and then Noah. Because really in the book of Genesis, that's how this is broken down into. And then Noah's going to have his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But I want you to note this with me, Noah. He is the ninth from Adam. Noah would have taken Genesis chapter 1 through 10 with him. He would have taken that on the boat because those are the chronological of what had happened, the table of nations, everything. Noah would have had that secure. And we often think to ourselves, well, that's a big gap from Noah to Adam. But it's not really. Oh, sure, it's a thousand years, but we'll leave that one alone. But I want to show you something that's amazing inside of these first nine names that are not only mentioned here, but also mentioned in Genesis. Because in these nine names, we have the gospel message. You see, your name meant something in Israel. And so you were named sometimes, as we'll see in a minute, your name was Pain. (laughs) Because you were a little big coming out of mama. And so they said, we're going to call that guy pain. What did they call Jacob? Jacob. They called him heel catcher because he grabbed onto the heel of Esau. And so this is what these names mean. Well, Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Don't worry, I'll go over it in a minute. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Now listen, if you were around Methuselah, you're like, you feeling good today? Because if you die, what comes? Lamech means afflicted or punished. And Noah means rest or comfort. So here's the gospel, from Adam to Noah, man appointed, moral sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring afflicted or the punished rest or comfort. That's what it means. I didn't even make that up. That's in the, well, The gospel message is in the first, yes, it is. Jesus said, the volume of the book speaks of me. By the way, I'll have that afterwards. You can write it down. And it's also in, when we taught in Genesis, it's there too. 
But here's the gospel message for us. Genesis 3.15 even tells us it's called the Proto-Evangelicum. It was the first time in which the good news was mentioned in the Bible. And in these names, God is declaring to humanity that he himself will come down. Note with me, the blessed God shall come down teaching. And he will give comfort to the afflicted after much pain has been afflicted upon him. So, isn't it sad that a lot of churches don't read Chronicles? Oh, yes, uh, the genealogies and the names and oi, oi vey, right? But we need to see the nuggets that are inside, and they're there. And so as we work our way through, again, from Noah here on, we have the table of nations. And if you want some more information about that, please listen to uh, the message of uh, Genesis chapter 10, and you will get the table of nations. All of these nations, all of these names that are mentioned here are real nations. Ezekiel 38 describes a lot of these areas. Togarma is Turkey and Magog, and these are areas up in Russia with the Scythians. And we've got Javan here in verse 7. That's the Greeks. All of these are mentioned uh, in the table of nation. Note with me in verse 10, it says Nimrod, and he is kind of famous in the Old Testament as well as Genesis He was that guy, boy, did he build a tower or what? The Tower of Babel. We actually get to speak in Babel from the Tower of Babel because God uh, confused their language. At that time, there was only one language during the time of Nimrod. The world spoke only one uh, tongue. God took the, the, that people that were there at the Tower of Babel, they put them all over the world and changed their language. Now you might think to yourself, what was that day like? I'll tell you what it was like. It was actually really easy. Oh, they were all confused, but pretty soon you heard the same thing that you were saying over here, and so you kind of walked over here, and eventually you had a bunch of groups of people that were speaking the same language, and ultimately they move into the different portions of the world. Notice verse 17, Elam, that is Persia. And all of these different areas. In verse 19, it says, then Eber, by the way, we get Hebrews from the tribe of Eber. Eventually, this becomes Abraham's tribe. It says, there were two sons born to him, Peleg, for in his day, the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Now, it means exactly what it means. This is not allegory. This, we believe what the Bible says. So, we believe that during the time of Genesis, that there was one giant. I mean, it pretty much makes some common sense that there was one continent. And at some point, that continent broke up, continental drift, which science teaches today, uh, well, They say it was over a couple of million, billion, trillion, whatever. They're always increasing the number for us. Not so much. But it did break up. Don't you love how the Bible always talks about science? It's filled with science. And by the way, good science. 
And there Peleg was, I, I know what you're thinking yourself, how in the world is he going this long on just these couple of verses? <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get going here. And so we see the rest of these names all the way down to somebody very important in verse 26, Abraham's father, Terah. And then Abram was his first name, and then it was changed to Abraham. And then in verse 28, it tells us that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. It goes on to list out Ishmael's family. And again, God said that he would bless them. And they are a blessed people today. Most of the Middle East is inhabited because of Ishmael and from that tribe. But note with me in verse 34, it says, Abraham begot Isaac. His name means laughter. Remember that? Because Sarah laughed at the entrance of the tent when the angel of the Lord was telling her that she was going to have a kid. And then he said, hey, why did Sarah laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. Yet you can't lie when the Son of God is standing in your tent. By the way, it was Jesus that was having communion with Abraham that that day. So, well, we're going to call him laughter then. And then it says, the sons of Isaac, which we know very well. Again, these are all Genesis accounts. They're not stories. They're they're historical facts. We've got Esau, and we've got Israel. We've got red. That's what Esau means. And we've got Israel. Note with me that Ezra, the recorder here of Chronicles, does a good service to Jacob. Because Jacob's name is heel catcher, Jacob. It literally means surplanter. But what name does he choose to give Jacob? The name that God later on changes his name to. Remember that time when they, uh, that uh, Jacob was wrestling with the Lord all night, and then the Lord touched his hip, put it out of socket, and then forever he had that kind of limp as he was walking. And he goes, no longer is your name Jacob, but it will be called Israel. It will be called govern by God. No longer will you become a surplanter, a heel catcher, a scoundrel, but now you will be called governed by God. And then it tells us the sons of Esau and his lineage, and we work our way down, all the way down, look at that, all the way to chapter 2. And I know what you're thinking, I'm going to read this tonight. good. Now, these were the sons of Israel. Well, this becomes important to us now because now we have who? We have the pillar of the Israel, Israelite nation, which is the 12 sons. And here they are. Reuben made a good sandwich. You'll get that later. Simon or Simeon. Levi. Levi will become important. Notice with me Judah. Ishakar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. Now, note with me here, this is interesting. And again, these are just interesting things as we work through these chapters. What the writer does, what Ezra does, is he, na- he names first, verse 3, Judah. Okay, I don't get it. What, why is that important? Who comes from Judah? Who's writing the Bible? The Holy Spirit. And so he puts Judah. Who should be first? 
if we were going on a Jewish way of living, we would put the firstborn. And he has importance because is he, he has the birthright. We're going to see he doesn't have the birthright. In fact, Joseph is given the birthright. But the Holy Spirit puts Judah for us first. Know with me at the end of verse uh, 3, it says that the firstborn, Ur, and boy, boy, these guys had some really easy way of picking names. Like, did mom just say, Ur, that's a good name for him? <laughs> Go with that one. Go with Ur. It says, this was the firstborn of Judah, please note with me, who was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and so he killed him. That's it. That's how it was in the Old Testament. It was, this is what you do for the Lord, and he brings a blessing on. If you don't do what is right, a lot of times you died. We'll see that next week when we see David moving the Ark of the Covenant with Uzzah putting his hand out to steady the cart. That's not tonight. Then we've got Tamar, his daughter-in-law. we got Perez come down here. We have the son of Carmi. And then Arca, who was a troubler of Israel, who transgressed the accursed things. Now, it says Arca, but his name actually is Achan. We know that from the account of Jericho. As they were crossing over the Jordan, God said, here's Jericho, go get it. But no one is to touch anything in it. All of the spoils come to me. No one is to touch anything. What happened? They conquered it, and then they go to the next city to conquer that, and God says, stop. Someone took something, and they go through all of the tribes and go through all of the families, and there's Achan standing there with the holy things. And notice with me, he is called a troubler of Israel who transgressed in the accursed things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where am I? Oh, there we are. Verse 12, Boaz begot Obed. These are names. about David is that it's the first time in the Bible we have the name David. David, first time. It's like it's a new name, and it got real popular <laughs> after that. David, and again, so you're seeing these big chunks of time because we need to get to David. To, tonight, we won't get to him. We're going to finish with Saul tonight, but next week, we will get into the line of David. And so it tells us uh, the rest of his family. Mm-hmm. Let me jump down. Where am, where am I going? Verse 52, now Shobal was the father of Kirjath-Jerim and his descendants. What's interesting as you go through this, and again, feel free to just look through them and read them. You're going to start pulling out names that, that sound like towns that you know, and you read them, and we're reading the Bible, and we're going to always hear about Kirjath-Jerim. Well, it tells us right here where that came from and who was the father of that area. It tells us uh, the families of Kirjath-Jerim. But note with me in verse 54, it says, the sons of Salma were Bethlehem. And so again, 
when you are gone out of Israel for 70 years and things have been moved around and things have been destroyed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, it's important to kind of get your bearings again. And that's what the writer is saying. Hey, uh, by the way, Bethlehem is over there. And this is who uh, founded that area. Chapter 3. Now, these were the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. The first was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelite. Second by Daniel, Abigail the Carmelite. Then third, Absalom. And we know that Absalom, again, all of this is going to come out in the next couple of chapters uh, after chapter 10 in the life of David. Um, Where did I want to go? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, verse 4. Now, these six, so David's first six sons, were born to him in Hebron. By the way, by six different, six different wives. What does a birthday party look like in that house? David, six wives, six kids in seven years. Again, polygamy, nothing which the Bible promoted it simply is telling us what happened and this is what's interesting to remember is that is that polygamy was something that happened in the nations all around Israel and once again they brought something into their life that was worldly and pagan and they weren't supposed to if they had just listened to grandpa Adam Adam and Eve But after that, it started going polygamy downhill. Note with me in verse 5, I want to point this out to you. Um, It says, now these were born to him in Jerusalem. The name that stands out is two names. Number one, Nathan. I want you to highlight that. And Solomon. We talked about this when we started the book of Luke and Luke's genealogy. How evil... The forces of evil, the devil was going after all the descendants of Solomon, all the while Nathan is the guy that is just over here, one of David's sons, and eventually that's the lineage that Jesus comes from. Not Solomon's line, but from Nathan. And again, here is the world trying to go after the kingly line of Solomon, all the while you got Nathan over here, minding his own business. And the king of kings is going to come from him. But it says Solomon. And Solomon is important because most of the kings of Israel are going to come directly from his lineage. And it's all listed out here. Note with me, it says Solomon's son in verse 10, Rehoboam. And now it lists all of the kings for you. Abijah, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz. Again, we had just gone through this in the book of Kings, as well as Ahaz, verse 13, Hezekiah, Manasseh, uh, Amnon, and Josiah. And then these were the sons of Josiah, which is Jehoiakim, Zedekiah. These are important names because it ends 2 Kings that way. It says that the sons of Jehoiakim were uh, uh, Jeconiah, and his son was um, 
Zedekiah. Now, in verse 16, not that it, I just want to make this note, we start from this point with now post-exilic names, which means now the chronicler is telling us names that are coming after they go into Babylon and after they go into the Medes and the Persians. Now, why is that important? Because they got to go back in the land, and they need to know who is still around and what tribes are still around. Chapter 4. Now, these are the sons of Judah, and it goes into his sons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And verse 9. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him his pain. His name is pain. How many of you, no, show of hands, got on board with that prayer of Jabez? This is where it comes from. So you're praying a prayer from a guy whose life is pain. I want to make, I want to read the next verse, and then I want to make a statement of what kind of goes on in Christianity. But it says, Jabez called on God, the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, and your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I might not, uh, that it may not cause pain, because my name's pain. And so God granted him his request. This was for Jabez. Jabez. And then some guy writes a book, says that all you have to do is pray the prayer of Jabez, and then this magical thing will happen to you. This is what happens in Christianity. We get on board with something that doesn't necessarily apply to us, only applies to this guy in the book of Chronicles named Pain. But in order to sell books because the Christian book industry is a billion-dollar industry, or at least it used to be. People just want something new. Oh, I want to have my territory enlarged. But it's not for us. Is there anything necessarily wrong with praying that? Um, Yes and no. It's like the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. We think by praying it, something's going to happen to us. And denominations and religions have been teaching people to pray this and they recite it without even knowing what they are saying. And that's not what Jesus said. He said it was a model of prayer. But we are lazy as people, don't we? Oh, just give me a book. Give me a formula. Who else is in that book? Just give me a formula. Give me a checklist. If I can say it and pray it, It'll be done to me. That's not, what, that's not what the Bible is about. It's not a magic book that we could just say something and this happens in my life. It was for pain. Not for us. It's for us to read. And it's great to know that he was more honorable than his brothers. That's wonderful to know. To inspire to be like that but not just to spout off some verse and 
Next week, the new car shows up in the driveway. Or my hair magically starts getting brown again. Or for some of you, growing again. It's careful about the books that we see in and out of the church. Let's keep going, shall we? Mm-hmm. Next, we have in verse 24, the descendants of Simeon. And in verse 41, it says, These recorded by the names in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and that they attacked their tents of the Menunites, who were found there and utterly destroyed them as it is this day. And so they dwelt in their place because there was no pasture for their flocks there. That's wonderful, isn't it? It says, and then some of them, the Simeonites here, 500 men of Simeon, they went to Mount Seir, having their captives, and it tells them they're captives. And it says in verse 43, they defeated the rest of the Amalekites who had escaped, and they had dwelt there to this day. What does that mean to anybody? Well, as we'll see, Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites completely. He failed to do that. He failed to listen. So now we are, we've come out of Babylon, out of the Medes and the Persians. We're back in the land. The Simeon, Simeon tribe is back in their land. And 500 of these, the, the tribe of Simeon, they, they find these Amalekites who were left and they take care of that which Saul could not take care of or didn't want to take care of. Ultimately, God will take care of it, amen? He can use you. He can use Saul, as we will see, or not. Saul, as we're going to see, hopefully, tonight, is one of the greatest failures of all time. He had the greatest opportunity, and yet he blew it. All right? Five, we're going good. Now, these are the sons of Reuben. And remember, Reuben is the firstborn and really should have his name first, but he doesn't because the chronicler has Judah. And it says, um, where did I go? In verse 6, it says, Bera, his son, whom Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, carried away into captivity and he was the, ru- the ruler of the Reubenites. We're going uh, to see these tribes taken away by Assyria because they had evil uh, in their life. Notice Baal, his son. Baal is a false god, and one of Reuben's kids calls his own kid a false god. What does that mean? That means that this tribe has got a lot of problems, a lot of worldliness inside of that tribe, let alone next the Gadites in verse uh, 11. And then we have the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these three, uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, were the three that chose the land on the other side of the Jordan, what we would know as modern-day Jordan or Syria today, and they chose that land. So they chose second best. They didn't 
choose what God would want for them, which was to be in the land, be around their brethren. They said, well, we kind of like that land. We kind of want to stay Jews, but we kind of want to do it our own way. Sound like a couple of Christians today? You know what? I like that name Christian. I got that bumper sticker and that cross, but I kind of want to do it my own way. Here's the dangerous thing. Where's the dangerous thing? (laughs) Verse 25, there it is. And they were unfaithful to God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land whom God had destroyed before them. And so God, the God of Israel, stirred up the spirit of Pool, king of Assyria, that is, it took them into these cities. These tribes that did not want what God wanted for them, said, we're going to go over here. We're going to do our own thing. And God says, okay. I hate that when God lets us do what we want. Anybody else? Can't you just stop me? Nope, free will. Oh, free will. Thanks, Adam. Free will. God will actually give you what you want from time to time. Well, what's sad is, as we go into chapter 6, is that they are the first to be taken captive by the Assyrians. And you don't hear from them again because they're taken captive. Chapter 6 tells us about the Levites. Now, the Levites were important because this was the priestly line. And it was important because as we go back in the land, we don't have a king. So it really doesn't matter who's from Judah, although we know it's Jesus. It really doesn't matter who's from Benjamin or from any of the other tribes. What's most important to us and to the chronicler, especially Ezra, since he's a priest, is the priestly line. And so we see the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Now, these are important. They come out of Exodus. They have important tasks. You cannot be a high priest unless you are from the line of Aaron. And so it just goes through all of the priests, all of the Levites, all what they were doing. Verse 31 says, Now, these were the men whom David appointed over the service of the song of the house of the Lord, After the ark came to rest, we will get to that next week. So David assigns these musicians to this area, and it says that they were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they served in their offering according to their order. And again, whenever their order came up, so not only the musicians, but also the priests, they they all had a time in which they came to the temple to serve. It says, um, 49, but Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place to make atonement for Israel according to the, to the law of Moses that the servant of God had commanded. Now, then it gets into Aaron's sons, which are really important, Eliezer, Phinehas, and Abishai. And so, uh, these, um, sorry, I'm just reading as I drop down. These priests and Levites were, for all intents and purposes, the most important thing coming out 
and back into the land so that they would have established who would be the high priest and who would not be. Seven, descendants of Ishakar. And then we have the sons of Benjamin as well. Look at poor Nephtali there in verse 13. He only got one line. Descendants of Manasseh, descendants of Ephraim, descendants of Asher. It says at the end there in verse 40, all of these were the children of Asher, heads of their father's houses. Notice choice men. A lot of good warriors came from the tribe of Asher. It says these were choice men, mighty men of valor. They were chief leaders and they were the recorders by genealogies among the army fit for battle and their number was 26,000. So, They had a lot of fighting men come out of that. Well, that's where we stop. Well, we're not stopping, but we're going to stop on a guy named Saul. Chapter 8. Now, Benjamin begot uh, Bello, his firstborn, and then it lists out the rest of Saul's genealogy here. And we're going to see what the genealogy and the life of Saul was like. It's not as as in-depth as as it was in Kings, far as what he did wrong. We will get into the things that he did wrong. But really, uh, Saul's life is just a life that's a wasted life. And so as we uh, work our way through down, I just moved my pointer, sorry. Uh, Where did it go? I just lost it iPad. Uh, chapter 10. That's how we get through it, right there. We just arrow, next chapter, flip the page. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan. Now, we know Jonathan and David had an amazing friendship, the Bible says. They were very close friends. And so Jonathan and his brothers, Saul's sons, it says that the battle became fierce against Saul. And the archers hit him and he was wounded by the archers. And Saul said to the armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But the armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and he fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died. And so Saul and his three sons died, and all of the house of Israel died. I want to make one Quick statement. You may have come out of a religion that said suicide was a damnable offense. In fact, that God would not be able to forgive you if you took your own life. No show of hands, but I know an organization that believes that and still teaches that. It's not what the Bible teaches. Now, to take your own life, 
is probably the most cowardice thing that anyone could ever do. Because of who you live. I mean, it's very, it's very selfish. A lot of people who get into this place of suicide, and speaking of that, in our roundtable discussion with Mike and I, we will be going into some statistics on the elevated suicide numbers because of the lockdowns of the government. And it is by design what they are doing. But oftentimes when people are in the midst of that depression, remember it's everything you're looking inward and you can't get out of the trap of looking inward. And the best thing we always tell people, you want to get out of depression, serve somebody else. Get out of your house, get to a nursing home if they ever let us get into them again. Get into children's ministry, get into different ministries and start serving there and you will see a lot of people have life worse than you do. The things that are in our nation today are not worth dying for. There's not an excuse to die in the United States of America like that. What we have as a people at our disposal It's a lie from the enemy that tells you to quit. You don't, why would you kill yourself and let the devil win? I hate that guy. You better hate that guy. He hates you. You can hate him with the love of Jesus, by the way, just so you know. But you got to hate him. Because he wants to come and steal and destroy. That's his job. And he wants to take you out. And that the person that kills themselves gives him the satisfaction. I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody to do that. If you're close to that, you're watching us, you're listening, you, you should come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to put you in a ministry where you can see that, hey, there are kids in a facility a couple of miles from here. Their families don't want them. They... They probably have it harder than you do. Why don't you get in there and start serving other people? Find some way to get out of looking at yourself and look to help others. Jesus said to serve, not to be served. When we make it all about ourselves, it can be depressing, can it? You ever sat down and actually thought about your life? You're like, wow. Every once in a while, your life kind of stinks. You go through problems. You go through issues. You go through COVID. Yeah, that kind of stinks. Not enough to kill yourself. Not enough for the devil to win. You don't ever let him win. Jesus Christ came to set us free, to be free indeed, to break the chains of whatever is holding you down. Saul gave up. He gave up. He gave up because he had a life of failure to that point that pushed him over the edge. The day before he talked to a witch, this is Pastor Ron's tips, don't talk to witches. Don't talk to mediums. The Bible says steer clear of anything like that. Remember that, that account? And the witch brings up uh, Samuel the prophet. And I think Samuel was a little shocked himself. You're like, 
Why am I? I was like in Abraham's bosom, and now I'm here talking to you, Saul. By the way, Saul, you will be with me tomorrow with your sons. That was the last thing that Saul said to Saul. And what did he do? He went out, and a lot of people got killed that day because of Saul. Please come talk to us. Don't let the devil win. Depression is totally real. But inside the body of Christ, we have mechanisms to help. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe some of you can testify that you too were in that state. But that's exactly what Jesus can do. It's not a slogan. It's not a tagline. It's really real. And maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe you're listening on the radio and you just feel like you can't go on. I would ask you to stop and let God come into your life and give you the power to overcome. Amen? You thought we were done. We're not. You're like, he's going to end right there. Nope. <laughs> come on, we got to get through here. We're almost done. No, we are. Uh, where did I go? Oh, so all uh, Saul and his three sons died. And when the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and they dwelt there. Saul's failure, Saul's failure destroyed cities of Israel. Our sin that happens in our life, excuse me, doesn't stay with us. Again, that's what suicide does. It affects all these other people, all these other people. And again, my heart breaks for anybody who has ever gone through that. But here, Saul's failure affected all of these other cities. And so it happened on the next day, verse 8, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons at Mount Geboa. And they stripped him and they took his, <laughs> took his head, yes, took it off, his armor, and sent word throughout all the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news and in the temple of their idols and among their people. Let me briefly make a mention of this. When you fought in a war back then, you had your God, little G, behind you. So when you were fighting, let's say it was the Amalekites and the Philistines, and they had two little G gods that were fighting, whoever won, they went, woohoo, our, our God won, we're great. So what Saul was to bail out, and who was to become king? David. But Saul threw spears at his head and chased him through the wilderness. David spared his life multiple times. And yet Saul did not get the point. And so they stripped him of, all, of everything. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods. And they fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was half man, half fish. That Dagon God. You'll get that on the way home. Now, when all Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, these valiant men rose up. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh. And they buried their bones under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. 
And so Saul died, notice, for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord. And also because, (laughs) here it is, because I just mentioned it earlier, he consulted a medium for guidance. You want to do that? God will let you. And then you will have the consequences of that. Notice, but he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the king over to David. Please note with me how they list here the son of Jesse. And from this point now, it shifts from the history of Israel and Saul, their first king. So we just went through 3,000 years of Israel's history in 54 minutes. Woohoo! And none of you, at least I'm looking around, fell asleep. It's wonderful, isn't it? Look, the book of Chronicles is it's going to turn out to be one of your favorite books of the Bible. For me, it is a book rich with the Holy Spirit's perspective on the kings and how they lived their life. And like Saul here, were they listening to the Lord? Were they inquiring of the Lord? Or were they doing their own things? And we will get into David. King David, this great King David, but he was kind of a jerk. He killed somebody, committed adultery. A coup from his son happened in his kingdom. His wives were taken captive from Ziklag. And yet, the Bible says of David in all of his favors, that he, he was a man after God's own heart. We will see why in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your great love for us, your compassion and your mercy, and for these chapters, Lord, to learn from the nation of Israel. So much in here for us. Thank you, Lord that we have your promises. Just as you promised the nation of Israel that they would come back into their land, so too you promised us that you would come back for us, the church. And as you fulfilled that promise in Israel, you will fulfill that promise to us soon and very soon. Lord, we do pray again for those listening even right now, contemplating the idea of suicide of ending their life because of the pain that they're going through. Lord, would you just reach out supernaturally into their life? Bring someone immediately into their life to share Jesus. Lord, that they would pick up a phone and call those hotlines. Lord, that they would send us an email or talk to a family member or a friend tonight. Lord, we all go through pain. We all go through suffering. But it's, a not, it's not enough to quit and let the devil win. Lord, that you would strengthen those tonight who are in that place of depression. Allow them to come out of that, Lord, and allow them to serve others just as you served us. The king did not come to 
be served, but to serve. And Lord, that we would have that same heart. Thank you, Lord, for our building and for those serving. And we thank you, Lord, for those precious saints watching us over the internet and on the radio. We ask, Lord, that you would touch those who need a healing in their bodies tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.